are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. Point nine Chai FM Soul to Soul back on your radio Erev Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Chukas Tov Shin Pei Beis a very warm welcome to our entire radio family those who join us every week and those who might just be dropping in now for a little while it's so wonderful to have you as part of our radio get together and it's an honor and a privilege to spend this time with you Erev every Erev Shabbos hopefully learning some Torah together, hopefully getting us, all of us, inspired and ready for another amazing Shabbos Kodesh, Baruch Hashem, as we begin Kodesh Tammuz, getting ready for the three weeks, many uh, people getting ready for a bit of a break, a bit of a holiday, as the schools close, or closed, or closing, or will close, never know what what exactly is, is going on, but let's get right into it. So we have in this week's Pasha the death of Aaron Akoin. And it says there that Vayavshed Moishes Begot of Moishah Beinu stripped Aaron's garments from him. Vayalbesh Osamis Elazar Benoi. And he dressed them onto his son Elazar. Vayomas Aaron. And Aaron died there. So the Ramban explains to us <coughs> that the garments which Aaron Akoin wore were the big day kuna, were the vestments of the of the coin goddle. Elazar's son was now being inducted into Kahuna Gedaila to become the high the high priest by wearing these garments. Apparently, he had just concluded his priestly service by offering the Korban Tamid, Shalbenu Arbayim, the afternoon communal offering, right, and burning the Ketiris, and lighting the Menaira. Moshe brought Aaron up to Horahar, where he was still wearing the Begadim. He then stripped him of these and dressed Elazar. According to the simple shot, <coughs> plain understanding, Moshe Abenu dressed Aaron in his Tachrichim, in his burial shrouds. He then removed Elazar's regular garments and dressed him in the holy begotten of the Kohen Gadol. Moshe basically acted as Elazar's valet, similar to what he did in honor of his original induction into the priesthood when he dressed Elazar in the ordinary begotten of the Kohen. The Midrash, however, presents us with a different take on the proceedings. Apparently, Hashem performed miracles for Aaron and Elazar. This is in response to the question, how was Moshe able to strip Aaron of his garments in the proper order, such that they could be put on Elazar? Are not the upper garments always on top, while the undergarments remain undergarments. Hashem performed a miracle, right? Indeed, Aaron was the beneficiary of greater miracles in death than in his life, right? where, where, whereby Moshe Rabbeinu <coughs> stripped him of the big dekuna and he put on his, uh, uh, what, what the Medrash calls, begotten uh, of the Shechina, miraculous supernatural garments in place of his original garments. Elazar was then dressed in Aaron's garments. Why did this all take place in such a miraculous manner? It was so that Aaron could be dressed in the Shekhinah's garments, thus allowing for Elazar to be dressed in the begotten of, of, of the, of the Kain Gadol. Now, Rav, uh, Rav Chaim Zaychik takes this even a little bit further. Can you imagine the overwhelming nachas that Aaron experienced when he observed his son dressed in his big day kuna? He merited to see his own son, literally, figuratively at least, fill his shoes and ascend to his position as Kohen Gadol. 
True, it was only for a few moments, just as Aaron was about to take leave of this world. But do we have any idea, however, of the value of a few moments? It was worth it, if only to grant Aaron the unique nachas of seeing his own son become Kohen Gadol, knowing that one's legacy is being adhered to and continued is the most uh, invaluable and probably enviable gift of all. This is 11.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with much, much more. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Pashas Kukas. Tav Shin Pei Beis. Thank you for joining us. Of those who just joined us now, we're beginning a very, very interesting topic. I want to talk a little bit about one of the main features of this Pacha, which is the Para Aduma, the red heifer, the special, special uh, cow that was slaughtered and burnt and used to purify anyone who came in contact with a with a dead body and the special processes that were done. But I don't want to discuss it in as of itself. I want to discuss that as part of a broader discussion about a very, very important, fundamental, and very relevant mitzvah. And I'm talking about the mitzvah of honoring our parents, of kibbut avayim. One of the best well-known stories in the whole subject of kibbut avayim is, of course, the very well-known story of Dama ben Nesina, which is brought in the Gemara and in, in Teisvis. And there are certain details that are brought in the Talmud Yerushalmi. In, in, the, in the Talmud Bavli, in Kedushin, it says, they ask of all of the following question. How far does Kivit of Aim extend? So he answered them, come, let me show you what a certain non-Jew did in the city of Ashkelon, and his name was Dama Benesina. And it says that one time, the Chachamim wanted to do a business deal with him, worth 600,000, whatever the, whatever the currency was then, of profit for Dama Benesina. And the, the key where the merchandise was kept was placed under the head of his father. And his father was asleep. And Dama ben Isina refused to bother his father and wake him up. Says Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Shmuel, they asked Rabbi Lazar, how far does the mitzvah of Kivodim go? He said to him, come, let me tell you what happened to a certain non-Jew uh, 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 and what he did for his father in Ashkelon. And again, his name was Dama ben Isina. And what happened? Chachamim wanted stones for the ephod. For the ephod is the breastplate. Sorry, the, the, the shoulder straps that the coin Godel wears on his shoulders. And they have precious, precious uh, gems in them. And again, it was worth 600,000 profit for Dama Benestina's father. And, and, uh, and, he, and Afghana teaches us that it was actually 800,000, uh, uh, whatever the currency was, of profit. And again, the key was underneath his father's head, and is, he refused to wake up his father to do the deal. Says Gemara, the next year, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him his rewards, that he had borne into his flock a, a paraduma. And the Chachma Yisrael came to him and he said to them, I know that if I would ask from you all the money in the world, you would give it to me. But I'm not going to ask from you except that amount of money that I lost in order to show honor to my father and not, and not wake him up. And the Gemara concludes, says Rabbi Hanina, if already someone who is not Jewish 
and therefore is not commanded in the mitzvah of honoring his parents. And yet this is how far he went. All of the Jewish nation who are commanded to honor our parents. Alachas kama How much more so do we have to show honor and respect and deference for our parents? And Amrav Chanina, because Rav Chanina says, Someone who's commanded to do a mitzvah and fulfills it is much, much greater than someone who is not commanded and does it voluntarily. There are various reasons for that. Tosfos uh, explains because as soon as we're told you have to do something, so the automatic reaction is, why should I? Who are you to tell me to do it? And if a person is able to overcome all those challenges and do the mitzvah, then that's that's greater than a person who's doing it as a volunteer and says, if I want, I can do it. If I don't feel like doing it today, I won't do it. It's all up to me. Now, this same story is brought also in the Yerushalmi, also in Kedushin, with a few small changes. There it says, uh, one time, said uh, uh, the 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 Yoshbe stone. The Yoshbe was one of the stones of the Aphid. It was actually the stone that represented the tribe of Benjamin. So that stone got lost. So they said, who would have such a, a beautiful, precious stone that we could use to replace that stone on the, on the, on the Cheshen? So they said, oh no, and we know that by double Benestina, he has such a stone. So they went to him and they made an agreement, made an offer to buy it from him for a hundred uh, dinrim. So he went up to bring it and he found his father was asleep. Some say that, in fact, the key was on the box where the precious stones, where the, for the safe where those stones were, was under the was was actually in the in the hand held by his father's hand while he was sleeping. Or some say that his his the, his father's feet were were spread over the 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 box. So Dhamma Minister went back to Chacham and said to them, "I I can't bring it to you." So the Chachamim said, maybe, hey, yo, maybe the problem is that we didn't offer him enough money, and therefore they raised the offered price up to 200 dinner, and further and further until 1,000 dinner, and he still didn't want to, to sell it to him. In the meantime, says Yushami, in the meantime his father woke up, Right, so the stamu now went back, went back upstairs, brought them the yoshbe stone, and the chachamim wanted to give him as much as they agreed to give him the thousand uh, dinner, but he refused to accept only what they originally agreed to pay him the hundred dinner, and he said, "What should I sell to you the honor that I showed for my father with for me money? I'm not prepared." I'm not prepared to sell it to you, and I'm not going to gain anything from fulfilling the mitzvah of honoring of honoring my father. Continues the Gemara. How did Hashem pay him back? So says Rabbi Yaisi, the son of Rabun. That night, the, the the cow gave birth to a paraduma, and they they weighed out gold uh, uh, to pay him for it. And, and he, he made a huge, huge profit on, on that. Toysus in Avodah writes down that he wants to compare what it says in the Talmud Bavli with what it says in the Yishami. Because what's explained in, in the Bavli that they looked for stones for the ephod, the intention was, what were they looking for? Not for the ephod, not for the, not for the uh, shoulder straps. They were actually looking for the chayshen, which is connected to, to the ephod. In fact, it says that the story with Dama Benesina wasn't actually about the Avnei Shayam, but the Avnei of the actual chayshen. And even though it says that they wanted 
uh, stones for the aphids. We can possibly say this, Tysus, since the Choshen is connected to the aphid, it's called the aphid. And so it seems also on Yushami in, in, uh, in, in Peiwi also brings the story of, of Dama ben, ben Asina and, uh, and, and prefaces it by the story that the Yoshbe stone got, got lost. And we have to understand what is this whole concept that as a result of honoring his father and, and turning down the deal, he received specifically this reward of a, a Paraduma. We're going to come back and explain that in a moment. But in the meantime, we're going to take a little break. Please stay with us. Please hang on till we get the answer to this question. This is 101.9 Chai FM. And the program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb. Only on 101.9 Chai FM. 1.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Parshas, Chukas, Tavshin, Pei Beis. We are dealing with a very perplexing question. We're talking about the great kindness that was done by Dhamma ben Asina, a non-Jew, to his father. We refused to wake him, even though uh, there was a huge profit that the father could have made because the Chachamun needed something that he had, perhaps one of the stones of the of the ephod or one of the stones of the choshem, we discussed. We discussed the, uh, that, and because he refused to wake his father, the reward he received was that he was able to have born into his flock a paraduma, a red hefer, which, as we say, isn't really red. It's kind of more rust brown, and it's used to purify anyone who comes in contact with a dead person. Why would that be the fitting reward? I understand. Dhamma ben Asina uh, uh, exhibited tremendous, tremendous mysterious nefesh and, and, uh, and didn't want to wake his father. That's great. But why would the reward be to get a, a para, a para duma? And perhaps we can explain by first bringing the words of the Chasm Sefer in his uh, Droshus, and he says as follows, the Torah begins... This week's Pasha with the word Zeis Chukasatayra. This is a special chayk of the Torah. And we have to ask, why does it say Chukasatayra? It should be Chukasapara, the laws of the para, or the laws of purity of Tara. That's what it should have said. Why does it say Zeis, or rather, like it says, by uh, the laws of Karim Pesach, it says Zeis Teras Chukasapesach. These are the chukim of the Pesach, why does it uh, uh, refer specifically to the mitzvah at hand? Why does it talk about Zayskuka Satira? See, so answers, there's a post in Kohelis that says, Almighty Echemashtamimelch said, As wise as I might be, this one mitzvah, this mitzvah paraduma, is beyond even my ability, the wisest of all men. He says, this is beyond my ability to comprehend. And, and what he means, says the Chassam Seifer, is that I looked uh, the whole Torah. We know, in his great, great wisdom, went very, very deep to try to understand and try to attain the reasons for everything in the Torah. And he thought that he, so to speak, could connect to our Kodesh Baruch's intellect in, 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 in understanding the reasons for all of the mitzvahs. But when he got to this mitzvah of the Paraduma, and he saw that it's impossible, as much as he might go to depth, he can't understand it, then he knew that there is a depth to this mitzvah that is beyond his ability to comprehend, the way his intellect could not wrap, could not wrap itself around this mitzvah. Because certainly, uh, there cannot be a mitzvah, there cannot be uh, uh, certainly a mitzvah without a reason. Because that would be uh, 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 absolutely a uh, uh, travesty that HaKadosh Baruch Hu should should ask us to do something that uh, that that has no has no reason. Hakadosh Baruch Hu isn't isn't around to just make us do things that have no purpose. It must be that it must be so so deep that no one can find the explanation. 
So therefore, when he reached that conclusion, he now went back and contemplated that the truth is he actually hadn't gotten to the depth of any of the mitzvahs. And all of them are actually in the level of chukim. All of them are completely beyond our comprehension. And our seicha doesn't have the ability to get to the full comprehension of even what we would think are the most obvious mitzvahs. And all the mitzvahs that we use to try to explain, they're just on a very, very uh, superficial level on, on the surface, but they don't at all plumb the depths of the mitzvah. And therefore, he says, as as much as I'm clever, and I thought I understood the reasons of the of the Torah, and now when I came to the Paradum, I saw how distant that is, how beyond my intellect it is. In other words, I realized that the entire Torah is, is completely, completely beyond my comprehension. And I came to that conclusion through the Parah Aduma. And that's Zeus Kukas not, not just Parah Aduma as a chayk. The whole Torah, I came to the conclusion, is, is, a, is, is a chayk. And I can't actually understand any of it. Therefore, the result is that Parah Aduma teaches our, our, our limitations and, and the, and the, you know, the finality of, 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 of a person in understanding learning of Torah and, and getting down to the very depth of, of Torah. But of course, that's not only true regarding Limit of Torah. The, the feeling of this, of this lack of understanding Hashem's ways and Hashem's practices needs to be uh, 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 aroused in every mitzvah that we do. In fact, as the as the Sfarim bring down, the, the Bnei Socha brings it down, that we have a tradition from uh, our, our, our rabbis, from the Noyam Elimela from Luzinsk, he says that we have to agree that when it comes to anything that was created, so everything that was created by Hashem, nothing was created perfect. Only Hashem is perfect. Everything has a lack. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who's absolutely perfect. And when a person looks at his service of Hashem and the Torah he learns and the mitzvahs that he does, if he can't find something lacking, something imperfect in what he's done, so then obviously it must be that there's not only a small lack in his mitzvahs, it must be that his entire mitzvah observance is completely deficient. And so says the Imre Yosef, and he says, I once heard from my rabbeim, from Tzvi Hirsch, from Dinov, in the name of the Menachem Mendel from Riminov, that if after a person does a mitzvah, and he thinks about the mitzvah, if he somehow imagines to himself that his performance of the mitzvah was without lack, was absolutely perfect, and he can't find any area where he could have done better, he should know for sure that that mitzvah was not considered desirable at all in front of Hashem. Because people, human beings, it is impossible to do something with absolute perfection without there being some imperfection there. And if you find more than one imperfection, then it could be that his mitzvahs and and his good deeds have have found favor in front of HaKadosh Baruch Because if a person does what he's able to do and makes the maximum effort and tries to uh, uh, guard himself from any distractions and other things that uh, 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 will will ruin the mitzvah or, or his davening, but nevertheless we know at the same time that it's impossible to do things with absolute perfection, so nevertheless, HaKadosh Baruch Hu then accepts. If you try your hardest and you do as best you can, but you realize that will never be perfection, then Hashem accepts your mitzvahs because you did everything you could possibly, possibly do. Now, it's, it's well known that all the midas are, are that Hashem 
invested in a person are there to help us serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even some of the meters that seem to be uh, negative, such as jealousy. We have a, a, a concept of kinah seifim. If a person is truly jealous of the achievements of others and that acts as a catalyst, as, as a goad for him to try to do better himself, in other words, if a person is never satisfied with what he achieves in Ruchnius, but he wants to get more, you know, Yesh Leimon, if he has 100, he wants 200 in, in, in Ruchnius. If he has 200, he wants 400. So it comes out. So he's never happy with what he has. So this desire is a tremendously powerful tool in our service because a person always feels that I haven't yet summited I haven't yet reached as much as I can reach and there's still more me, more for me to climb and, and, to, and to pull myself up both in my learning of Torah and in my fulfillment of, of mitzvahs so therefore we could perhaps say that Dhamma Benesina after he literally dedicated himself in this mitzvah of Kivit Avaim, and because of that, lost a huge amount of money, he already fulfilled, oh, wow, I fulfilled this mitzvah in absolute perfection. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him, as a reward, the Paraduma, in order to teach him, nah, there's no such thing as a person being able to reach absolute perfection in spirituality in this in this world. And on the contrary, when a person feels, ah, I've summited, I've, I've done it as perfectly as could be done, and he feels that in this area of Ruchnis, he has achieved everything, it, it must be that this mitzvah was, was terribly, terribly flawed and, and won't come in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu at, at all. So if we, if we take this concept, so then we can come and we can try to explain a Gemara in Shabbos on, on Daf Yerches, where the Gemara says, says Abaya, right? That I, 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 I state that when I would see a Talmud Chacham who would finish a, a Mesechta of learning, I would make a yontif, I would make a big suda for all the Rabbanan. And the language specifically is a tsurba And Rashi says, what's a tsurba Rashi is in, in Tainus. What's a tsurba merabonan? Bochur kharif. A, a, a young boy, but a young boy who's sharp. A young boy who's, who's on the ball, so to speak. Right? And, uh, and he brings an example of such a, such a young, such a young boy, right? A, a, a older Tamachachim no longer would be called a Tsurba. He would just say, There was a certain rabbi that would call him. So therefore, Abaya is, is, is dealing here with, with a young Talmud. Right and the shalim, the shalim masechta, who completed Amos. It doesn't say the siem that he that he finished. Ella the shilim, right? He he, uh, he completed that young Talmud feels. I got it. I know this masechta backwards and forwards. I've got. I understand it. I've got it in my back pocket, and I know it back and forth as clear as can be. So what did Abaya do then? Abaya used to make a Yema Tavalaban, used to make a Yontif. Right? And the Dafka he made it for the Rabbanan. In other words, he invited other Tabinakalkamim, greater Tabinakalkamim than this young student, in order that this young you know, Turk, who now felt that he's ready, I've done it, I'm I am i have summoned it, I, I know this Masekta back and forth. So he would see from these greater Tamikacham how much he still has to strive, how much he still has to has to has to work for and try to reach. And and how really when he compares himself to the other great Chacham who are at the Sudha, he actually doesn't know anything. And that's what Salamel says in Mishlei. Always look 
at others. Look at those that are greater than you. And the word noichach, nun, chof, ches, is an acronym for nishmas kol chai. In other words, a person should also look, at, or always look at the tefillah of nishmas and he'll see what he is lacking. Because in Nishmas we say, If our mouths were full of praise of Hashem like the sea, and our tongues could, could extol our could have spoken praise Hashem like the waves, and our lips could say praise like the expanse of the, of the sky, and our eyes were, were bright like the sun and, and the moon, and our, and our, our arms could spread like the eagles in heaven, and our feet could run like deer. With all of that, even if you had all of those qualities, we will never be able to sufficiently praise you and thank you, Hashem, Hashem, God. And, 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 and bless you and bench you. For one, may elef. Alfe Avlofim from a thousand, thousands, thousands. Take out your Zimbabwean calculator and multiply a thousand by two thousand, at least by another two thousand. Right? The rebate of us and the ten thousand of ten thousands. Hatoivis. And all the miracles and all the good things you've done for us and our forefathers. So we see that as much as we praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we still have to feel that we haven't managed to praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu at all for even one of the things that Hashem has done. And we're not able to in any way somehow say the words, begin to get out ourselves around at all, that which needs to be praised for all that Hashem does to us. And in the Basayan, on Pashas told us, it says there that uh, Rivka was barren, and, and Yitzchak and Rivka down, and it says, loy Hashem. Hashem listened to the prayers of Yitzchak, and Rashi says, we cannot compare the tefillah of a tzaddik, the son of a tzaddik, to the, to the tefillah of a tzaddik, Ben Rasha. Uh, Rivka herself was a tremendous tzaddik, but she came from a family of Rishon. And the question is obvious. On the contrary, tzaddik Ben Rasha, to, to be uh, where you grew up in a family of people that was so distant and so and so and so uh, uh, against Torah, and to be able to work on yourself, not to learn from the from the actions of your of your household of your of your family, surely that's the most tremendous tremendous success than someone whose father was a tzaddik and he's just sort of carrying on what his father did. So the Basayan answers based on what he heard from his Rebbe, from the Ora Meir, that when, it's, when we say, when Hashem chooses the, the songs, says, don't read it, the songs of, of praise, the, the remnants of song to teach us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu specifically wants those people, the Shirayim, those people who feel, let's say, for example, that after they've said Pesukah Zimra, they still feel, I haven't done this, I haven't said it with enough kavan, I haven't said it with enough inspiration, and they, they, didn't, they don't feel that they've, that they've somehow merited to properly sing and praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and, and therefore, someone who has that feeling after he's davened is very, very different than someone who doesn't feel that, okay, I'm sure. Because a person who is, who has yichas, a person who really understands what his job is after he davens, even if he davens with tremendous vagus, tremendous kavana, tremendous connection, still his heart is broken inside him, that he hasn't even begun to get to the level of davening properly, of davening the way his, his father 
used to daven, which is not the case. Someone who doesn't have, let's say, a family history. So, in comparison to him's father, whoa, I'm, I'm absolutely 10 million times better than my father was. So, how is such a person going to reach a level of, of complete subservience? comes out that there is this tremendous benefit of someone who has a yichus, who has, who has great lineage, because he understands, with all I'm going to do, how can I ever reach the level of my great father? While a person who's just starting out and has no background, so of course, I'm so much better than my father. I'm, I must be perfect. Therefore, we can say, that's why it says, Yitzchak davens l'noichach ishtoi. Opposite his wife, ki because she was barren. What's l'noichach? So again, the, the acronym for the word l'noichach is nishmas kol chai. Right? Again, it's uh, that Yitzchak reached this level of true anava. And he felt that whatever I'm going to daven will never reach the level of my great father, uh, Avram, right? That's, and that's the lesson of Nishmas Kochai. And that's why he merited that his tefillah should be, should be listened to. Chaim Pelagi, in his Sefer Nefesh, Nefesh Chaim, brings, in the name of, of the Kadmonim, brings our remez on a possible we say in, in, uh, in Devarim. It says, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, in the heavens above, and on the ground below us. So he says, that's as far as Yerushalayim is concerned. And when we, when we uh, learn Torah and do mitzvahs, a person has to see himself and learn from those people who are greater than you and know that we're so short of reaching their level. But when it comes by oretz mitachas, when it comes to physical things, so then a person should learn from those who have much less than him and not run after all the pleasures and all the uh, uh, extras of this, of this world. And and uh, Levi also writes writes the same the same thing. So therefore, the reward that that Dama Benesina uh, uh, received was to teach him that lesson. Yes, you did a great thing, and and you really are mighty nefesh. But don't think that there's nothing more to do. Don't think that now I've summoned it. I'm, I'm perfect. I've done it as best as possible could do. No. There's always more to learn. There's always more to grow. This is 101.9 High FM Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedish. Pashas Chukas Tavshin Peibes. We are getting to our Halacha segment. Thank you for being with us. Or if you just joined us, thank you so much for taking a few minutes on a busy Erev Shabbos to come join us and at least learn a little, glean a little bit about Halachas. We're dealing with the Halachas of Havdalah. But before we get to that, let's do what we always do at this point of the show, and that is to give you the important times and details you need for this coming Shabbos. So, this afternoon, the earliest time for benching lich, for lighting a Shabbos candles, is at 4.24. 4.24 is the earliest time one can get them done, but as always, let's get Shabbos into our lives as early as possible. This week's been probably tough probably exhausting, probably something you want to perhaps leave behind. And let's get into the beautiful, calm, serenity and, and, and atmosphere of, of Shabbos. So get the kitchen ready, get all the food on, get showered, get ready, and let's get those Shabbos candles up and Shabbos into our home as early as possible. 4.24 is the earliest time for benching licht. The latest time this era of Shabbos is at 12 minutes past Five, uh, uh, five, twelve is the absolute latest. Please make sure that everything is ready and organized and, and kind of in place before that 
before that time, so that we can then at least now mellow down and get into Shabbos. Shkia is at 5.30, half past five. That's an absolute emergency time. Someone really, really is desperate to get something done or get home or whatever it might be before Shabbos starts. So 5.30 is your absolute cutoff, cutoff time. Uh, and that's when, by then, Shabbos has to have uh, started. If you would like to be able to daven Mayrev and not have to repeat the Krishma, in other words, uh, fulfill the mitzvah of saying Krishna at night. So you have to wait till about 548. If you wait till after 548, then it's already night. You can say Krishna and don't need to repeat it till later. And then, of course, we can really sort of settle down into a beautiful, beautiful, relaxing little Shabbos with our family, with our friends, with the Vitura, with good singing, with some good food, with good company, and just make it an incredibly mellow and beautiful little Shabbos. Tomorrow, of course, is Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Chukas, just Parshas Chukas by by uh, itself, with all of the interesting discussions that are there, and the Haftarah, uh, that is unique for Pasha's Kukos, about the story of Yiftach, one of the judges, and his his battle on behalf of of uh, of, of Klai Yisrael. Um, the uh, that that is the that is the Haftira, the Perkiyavos uh, tomorrow afternoon will be Perik Hay, the fifth Perik. This is the fifth Shabbos after after Shavuos, and therefore we we say we'll say Perik Hay. And Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at four minutes past six. Six oh four is is the end of Shabbos. Just a heads up: we have one more week till the beginning of the three week mourning periods. Uh, please God, next next uh, well, officially it really should be next Shabbos. Next Shabbos is the seventeenth of Thomas. Of course, we don't fast on Shabbos, so we're going to push off and delay the fast until Sunday, and that will sort of be the beginning of the three-week period. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, in, in a future share, but if you need to sort of get things done, you want to have haircuts and things like that, this is definitely the week the week to, to, to do it. We are talking about the laws of making Havdalah on Moitzoy Shabbos. So we said that really uh, after the person making Abdullah has finished making the brachas, so really he should drink a, a full revius, sort of the 85-90 mils uh, that's in the cup, in order that he should actually be able to afterwards say an after bracha, a bracha chreina, for the wine that he's, that he's drunk. However, as far as the actual mitzvah of Havdalah is concerned, it would be sufficient that he drinks just a little bit more than half of this, what the halacha calls a malay lugmav, what would fill one side of, of your cheek, Right, and that would be enough to fulfill the the the, the mitzvah. Although you cannot say brachachrayin yet, because you haven't had a a full a full revius. Now, those who are listening and fulfilling the obligation by hearing this person make havdalah, they have to remain silent not only until he finishes making the bracha, but until the person who is who made havdalah finishes drinking that that uh, half a. Uh, Why? Because since the mitzvah of Avdallah uh, is to, to be said over a cup of wine, so only after the person who's making Avdallah finishes drinking, then that's when the Avdallah is over. The Avdallah is not just the brachas, the Avdallah is, uh, is, includes also drinking from the case over which the bracha is, uh, is, is said. Bidyevet if the person who is listening to the Havdalah spoke before the person who made the Havdalah began to drink from the cup, so he still fulfills the mitzvah of, of Havdalah, but it's certainly second prize rather than, rather than first. Now, we already mentioned before that it's first prize, it's, it's ideal to make Havdalah over wine because there's nothing more distinguished, nothing more important, no beverage that, that uh, grabs the limelight more than 
a wine does because it has the double uh, quality that it actually sustains a person but also brings this concept of of simch of of uh, of happiness and when we sort of uh, rejoice in in the simcha of properly fulfilling a a, a mitzvah so so that is is tremendously tremendously powerful it kind of really reveals the 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 inner diamonds the inner beauty of every single of every single Jew and and Achacham said in the Gemara in Shavuos that if someone makes Havdalah over wine on Matzah Shabbos so he will merit to be blessed with, with children so that's great so first prize is always going to be is always going to be wine what happens if there is no wine so then Halacha says you're allowed to make Havdalah over what's called Hamar Medina, which is literally the wine of that particular locale. In other words, it's referring to a a drink that is a a a drink of distinction and an important drink, a, a upper class drink that uh, we drink in that particular locale, right? Because uh, uh, most places in the sa- in the same way as they used to drink wine. Wine is something that you offer to a to a guest, and therefore something that fits on the same kind of level of, of importance and distinction as, as wine would in that particular location. That becomes something that you could use for Avdallah. For example, in, in many countries, so the meaning is that they drink uh, a beer, and in those places, since beer is considered something important for them, it's something you drink not just because you're thirsty, but you drink it as a social drink. When friends sit down to sort of chew the breeze, they'll have a beer. So therefore, one could make Havdalah over, over that. Obviously, if you'd be making Havdalah over beer, instead of saying, Bode Priyagofen, so you, you would make the bracha of, of, uh, of, Shahai, of Shahakal. Let's say someone has access to wine, but he would prefer to make Havdalah over some kind of Hamar Medina, over something else. So there's actually a discussion about it. Some say that since now, since you have wine, you must use wine. Wine is definitely first prize and gets preference over any other drink. And some say no, that in any event, it's possible to make Havdalah if you want to, even over a Hamamidina. Practically speaking, even someone who prefers a, a beer, let's say, if wine is also, it's not that wine is unpalatable, he just prefers beer, so it'd be correct for him to make Havdalah over the uh, over the wine. But if he wants, he could still make Havdalah over the uh, over the, over the, uh, the 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 beer. Okay, we're gonna come back for the last few segments in a moment. This is one one point nine. The program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on one hundred one point nine High FM. 1.9, this is Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We're back on your way to Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Bashar, Skukas, Tavshin, Bebez for our last few minutes together before we go running off to get our last minute preparations done. We are talking about the what you can drink, what you can use to make Havdalah on, on Maitzei Shabbos. So we said that when, if a person has wine available, so then he really should not use Hamar, hamar Medina. However, others argue and say, no, whatever you want. You want, to, you want to use Hamar Medina. Even if there is wine available, it's the choice is, is yours. If it's just a question of preference, but they're both available, so then it would be correct specifically to use wine. But if you want to, you could still make Havdalah over Hamar Medina. To, to make Havdalah over vodka, or let's say uh, uh, Arak, so that's certainly 
<coughs> those are important drinks. Those are Chamamidina, but of course, uh, because of their very their their great uh, sharpness, it's very difficult to drink a full mole lugmov of those type of drinks. We're talking about <coughs> 50, 55 mil. It's uh, quite a lot of, of arak to, to drink. And if someone's able to drink uh, a mole lugmov of those kind of drinks, so certainly you could make havdala over them. There's no there's no problem. Now, the, the poiskim argue, right, uh, in what actually constitutes Echamamidina? Is it that in order for something to be considered Echamamidina, do we does it have to have does it have to have an alcohol base? So those who are lenient say any drink, any drink that I would use to offer to important guests, right? And people uh, do sometimes in in a in a social setting drink this kind of drink so that is considered a important drink and you'll be able to make abdullah therefore uh, according to many one is able to make abdullah over coffee or or tea or even a kind of a black a black beer and you could even certainly make uh, according to some Havdalah uh, uh, over orange juice or, or natural apple juice, but one cannot make Havdalah over over concentrate juice, you know, something like a Lico that you can't do, or or any other soft drink, any 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 colas and things like that, because those are not considered on such a level of of uh, of of uh, importance. But uh, those are more things that are drunk to quench the thirst, and that doesn't qualify for for uh, for havdalah. There are some though who would even permit making havdalah on the on that because you do sometimes offer them to important important uh, uh, guests. Uh, those who are stricter say no, that only those uh, alcoholic. Beverages that actually have uh, alcoholic content, they are considered chamamidina because they are the kind of drinks that uh, people get together specifically to to drink. But other drinks are not considered so important, and one shouldn't make havdalah. And therefore, uh, one can make havdalah over beer uh, or any other drink that has alcohol. But coffee or, or black beer or or natural juices, one really should not make have avdala. And practically speaking, one should be machmir to make avdala over over kind of intoxicating uh, beverages. And only if there's nothing else available, then b'dyevet one could make avdala on other important drinks. That's about all the time we're going to have this week, so it just leaves me a moment to wish each and every one of you an amazing, amazing, beautiful, warm, and uh, inspiring Shabbos. We look forward to spending time with you again. Please, God, with the help of our Kodesh Baruch Hu, next Friday. To each and one of our radio family, a beautiful and inspiring good Shabbos.